Imagine you are called by the ER for a 60-year-old male patient with a recent diagnosis of stage 3 diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, started on chemotherapy three days ago, who presented with nausea, vomiting, weakness, and decreased urinary output over one day. He went to see his GP and they sent him to the ER because of abnormal lab values. On reviewing his labs, you note he has an AKI with a creatinine of 350 from a baseline of 80. He's also hyperkalemic with a potassium of 6.9, and ER informs you they've already shifted him once. You look through his remaining labs and note his sodium is 126, phosphate is 2.2, calcium 1.7, and your senior added on a uric acid, which came back at 950. What's going on? At this point, you may have already guessed. Your patient likely has tumor lysis syndrome. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled Spontaneous Combustion and is all about tumor lysis syndrome. Alright, let's start with our minute physiology. Tumor lysis is caused by massive death of tumor cells, releasing intracellular contents into the bloodstream. As a result, there is a rise in serum potassium and phosphate. The phosphate binds to calcium in the blood, leading to hypocalcemia. The nucleic acids released from the tumor cells are metabolized into uric acid, leading to hyperuricemia, which is a hallmark of tumor lysis syndrome. The massive uric acid excretion causes deposition of uric acid crystals in the renal tubules, leading to mechanical obstruction. It also induces renal vasoconstriction and precipitates an inflammatory cascade which in combination with volume depletion and the calcium phosphate precipitation leads to acute kidney injury. To summarize all of that, tumor lysis syndrome is characterized by hyperkalemia, hyperphosphatemia, hyperuricemia, and hypocalcemia, and is often accompanied by acute kidney injury. These patients can be very sick, can have cardiac arrhythmias, seizures, and even sudden death. Alright, so now that we've covered the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach. Tumor lysis syndrome is one of the oncological emergencies you may encounter during your internal medicine training. We are seeing it more rarely now because of the prophylactic treatment and instructions patients often receive prior to chemotherapy. So, what causes tumor lysis syndrome? It happens most often after initiation of a cytotoxic therapy, or it can present spontaneously. It is most frequently seen in patients with rapidly proliferating hematologic malignancies that are sensitive to chemotherapy. The highest risk group of cancers include ALL and high-grade aggressive forms of lymphomas such as Burkitt lymphoma and diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Patients with high tumor burden, for example when they have high baseline LDH or bulky disease, are at particularly high risk. Patients can be grouped into high, intermediate, and low risk groups, essentially comprised of different types of hematological and solid tumors. Rather than memorizing the entire list, we suggest focusing on understanding the basic risk characteristics. For example, high-grade aggressive lymphoma with bulky disease and LDH of more than two times the upper limit of normal would be high risk, whereas the majority of solid tumors and indolent lymphomas with normal LDH would be low risk. The Cairo Bishop definition of tumor lysis syndrome divides the features of tumor lysis into laboratory and clinical components. Laboratory tumor lysis syndrome is defined as two or more of the following. Calcium less than or equal to 1.75, or 25% decrease from baseline. Potassium greater than or equal to 6, or 25% increase from baseline. 
phosphate greater than or equal to 1.45 or 25% increase from baseline, and uric acid greater than or equal to 476 or 25% increase from baseline. These abnormalities must occur within three days before or seven days after the initiation of chemotherapy. The clinical manifestations are cardiac arrhythmia, seizure, acute kidney injury defined as creatinine more than 1.5 times the upper limit of normal, and sudden death. To meet the definition of clinical tumor lysis syndrome, you must have two or more of the aforementioned laboratory abnormalities accompanied by at least one clinical. Okay, now you're faced with this patient that you're suspecting has tumor lysis syndrome. What do you do? As always, your first priority is safety and managing the patient's ABCs. Make sure the patient is in a monitored setting and have two large bore IVs that are working, in addition to cardiac monitoring. If you are concerned, always reach out to your senior resident or staff for help. Your investigations and physical examination should be focused on all of the things affected in tumor lysis that we have already discussed. Assess the patient's mentation, perform a cardiovascular, respiratory, and volume status exam for dehydration or volume overload, and if they do not have an established diagnosis of malignancy, examine them for things like lymphadenopathy. Your investigations will include electrolytes, extended electrolytes, creatinine, uric acid level, LDH, liver enzymes, and ECG at minimum. In tumor lysis syndrome, you should be calling your hematology or oncology colleagues early. These patients may need specialized therapies such as resveratrol. You may need to call ICU and nephrology. These patients are often unstable and need close monitoring and telemetry because of the cardiac manifestations. They may need dialysis to manage the severe electrolyte derangements, and they may also be prone to volume overload and not tolerate the aggressive fluid resuscitation that they need. Once you have ensured your patient is in the appropriate setting and all the necessary services are involved, you can turn your focus to treatment. Treatment of tumor lysis syndrome entails aggressive IV hydration, treatment of hyperuricemia, and correction of electrolyte abnormalities. Aggressive IV hydration will flush the kidneys to increase the urinary output and minimize uric acid and calcium phosphate precipitation in the tubules. Of course, fluid overload can be a concern, especially in patients with underlying renal or cardiac dysfunction. You need to be monitoring the vital signs, oxygen saturation, and urinary output closely. In select patients, you may need to give the patients diuretics to maintain the urinary output. If you're worried about volume overload, oliguria, and are thinking of giving furosemide, it's a good idea to get nephrology involved early because the patient may need to be dialyzed. The elevated uric acid should be treated with rasburicase or allopurinol. Allopurinol reduces the production of new uric acid by inhibiting the enzyme xanthane oxidase that metabolizes the conversion of xanthine, a metabolite from purine breakdown, to uric acid. It does not decrease existing uric acid levels. The effect of allopurinol is therefore not immediate and therefore won't adequately treat a patient who is already in fulminant tumor lysis syndrome. On the contrary, rasburicase converts uric acid to the inactive, water-soluble metabolite allantoin so it can be excreted through the kidneys. It causes rapid reduction in serum uric acid in contrast to allopurinol. Again, allopurinol reduces production of uric acid, whereas rasburicase breaks down uric acid. For patients who are sick with renal and cardiac dysfunction, rasburicase is preferred. Typically, the dosing is 3 or 4.5 milligrams IV times 1. You absolutely must call your hematology or oncology colleagues for their guidance. The patient may need repeated daily doses depending on the uric acid levels. 
Be sure to also check their G6PD status, as resveratrol is contraindicated in patients with G6PD deficiency. Of note, the G6PD status will take a few days to come back, an unknown status should not preclude the use of resveratrol in emergency situations, especially if the patient is not from a high-risk ethnic group, for example, people of Asian, African, and Mediterranean descent. Do not give resveratrol and allopurinol at the same time. If a patient is on allopurinol previously, you should stop it if you're giving resveratrol. Now to address the electrolytes, we like to go one by one. For hyperkalemia, you'll stabilize the cell membrane with calcium gluconate or calcium chloride if there are ECG changes, and shift with insulin and glucose. For details, please take a listen to our previous episode on the management of hyperkalemia. For hyperphosphatemia, you should restrict the patient's phosphate intake and can consider using phosphate binders. In contrast to both of these, hypocalcemia should not be treated if the patient is asymptomatic. Treatment could precipitate calciflaxis, a serious and painful condition caused by calcification of arterioles and capillaries in the dermis and subcutaneous tissue. If the patient is symptomatic and calcium is necessary, supplement with the lowest possible dose. Of course, if all of these measures fail to address the electrolyte disturbances, the patient will need hemodialysis. Here we want to emphasize involving nephrology early when you are dealing with established tumor lysis syndrome. There are many reasons that your patients may require dialysis, including uncontrolled hyperkalemia, refractory hyperuricemia not responding to resveratrol, severe hyperphosphatemia, severely elevated calcium phosphate products, severe symptomatic hypocalcemia, acidosis, volume overload, and if the patient is oliguric. Okay, so your patient is now stabilized. They have IV fluids running, Hemonc has seen them, and the patient has received resveratrol. You put in your admission orders with the Q6H lights, extended lights, daily LFTs, and daily uric acid level. His electrolytes and uric acid eventually normalize and he feels better. Let's switch gears for a moment and talk about prevention of tumor lysis syndrome. You should make sure that the patient is well hydrated, stop unnecessary nephrotoxic medications, and drugs that elevate potassium or phosphate. Pay attention to the sneaky PRN ones. For patients who are at intermediate risk, you start allopurinol. For patients who are at extremely high risk and uric acid level is already high, your hematology or oncology team may give resveratrol up front. Alright, let's finish with our medicine minute on a note of choice of fluids in tumor lysis syndrome. As we've discussed, hydration is the cornerstone of tumor lysis prophylaxis. Prior to 2016, sodium bicarbonate infusions had been used. This was to alkalinize the urine to increase uric acid solubility and reduce uric acid precipitation in the tubules. However, the evidence to the effect of this is controversial, and now this practice is almost never used in a non-acidotic patient. Alright, that's all for today. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Spontaneous Combustion, Tumor Lysis Syndrome. This episode was written by Dr. Kelly Lee, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Richard Wells, hematologist, and Dr. Carolyn Chessex, general internist. This episode was recorded and produced by Leah Karianopoulos. The Internet Work Series was created by Allison Lai and is directed by Leah Karianopoulos and Zara Morali. Music by Lakshmi Santhamoghan. Please visit our website, www.theinternetwork.com, for infographics and additional resources. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon. Thank you.